Hello, everyone. This is episode 52 of the iPhone Podcast. For show notes and to send us feedback, please visit theiphonepodcast.com. Hello again, everyone. My name is Gary Ng. I am from iPhoneInCanada.ca, and I am here with Justin Louie, the co-host of the iPhone Podcast. Hey, Justin, how are you doing? I'm very good. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this week, and already I'm changing plans a little bit. Uh, when I was prepping the show notes all week, I couldn't decide if I wanted to even mention mention that we just passed the one-year anniversary of Steve Jobs' death. Um, personally, I'm the type of person who wonders why we look back at when someone died. For somebody important like Steve Jobs, to me it seems like we should be celebrating on the dates of major accomplishments. And then if you're going to mark any date, to me it makes more sense to mark the date of someone's birth rather than their death. But I think because Apple dedicated their homepage last Friday to Steve Jobs because it's the first year, I think we should probably discuss it a little bit, mention it. But then going forward, we'll still probably talk about Steve Jobs a lot because his his influence is still felt in this industry on a daily basis. But I don't think it makes sense to keep marking the death after this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you know there are other ways that we can do this to to celebrate the life of Jobs. I mean, heck, I mean, I think we celebrate it every day whenever we use our iPhone or iPad or Mac or whatnot, right? So, just uh, you know, head outside and pour out a little liquor for Steve, and bam, let's move on. It's another day. Yeah, I don't know what you were thinking last Friday, but I actually Friday morning uh, went to the Apple homepage wondering what they would do because I, I do think Apple's running a balancing act right now when it comes to how much to bring Steve up and how much not to. And there was nothing on the page. So I thought, hmm, I wonder if this is a conscious decision or there may be something later in the day. And then surely a, like about 10 minutes later, I went back to the homepage and they took over the whole, whole homepage, had a video a uh, really nice uh, two or three minute tribute video, and then a, a nice letter from Tim Cook, which I really thought was just a perfect, perfect letter, short to the point. But I just liked how he referred to him as Steve. I liked how the actual page just said Steve. I like how Tim signed it, just Tim instead of Tim Cook. It it's sort of when everybody talks about it, you still just say Steve and you know what everybody's talking about. It's kind of interesting that somebody who is that important of a historical figure is just everybody feels like they're on a, a first name basis with them. So I do think Apple handled it really well. I'm sure everybody's sort of getting sick of every time there's a big issue, um, wondering, you mean know, that dreaded question, what would Steve do? So one year in, I think Apple's handling it fairly well. And I just, I wonder what they'll do moving forward because you, if you look at a company like Disney, they never moved away from Walt Disney. Walt Disney was the face of that company and maybe they eventually got past the point of saying, what would Walt do? Which even Steve mentioned, I don't want Apple doing, but he's still, his statue is still there. It's still his name, right? In the company, they're, they're, they're still kind of following his basic legacy. I wonder how much of that Apple will do. I, I would hate to see them fall into a trap where everything is about Steve Jobs, but I would also hate to think that in a couple years there'll be no mention of him. I do think it's important for... I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to see Steve Jobs limited edition iPods and tacky things in his statue in front of all the stores, 
but I I hope they don't turn their back completely on his legacy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the uh, the night before um, the Apple Store was actually down, so um, a lot of people suspected that you know there would possibly be some sort of change to the website. And uh, yeah, right right away in the morning, boom, Apple.com updated. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it, I mean. Yeah, it's it's not fun to really, you know, bring up the anniversary of his death, but, you know, it kind of gives everyone, you know, a reminder to, you know, kind of reflect on what jobs actually contributed uh, to our society. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, his commencement speech at Stanford is pretty inspirational to anyone who, who has seen it. And, it, you know, every time you watch it, it still sort of gives you that perspective on life itself. So, I mean, what can we do? You know, Steve Jobs, you know, he's, I think he's done a good job of basically laying down, um, you know, he's trained his executives really well at Apple and, and we're seeing, uh, the results of that right now. He's not here, but Apple's basically still flying high, higher than Steve Jobs, higher than, you know, the company was when Steve Jobs was at the helm. And the good thing is, I think now that the years passed, we can sort of move past that aspect of it. But then I think the discussion of Steve Jobs, I think it was Matt Honing who had a great article, Why We'll Always Talk About Steve Jobs. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And that's where it's really at. Steve Jobs, whether you're the biggest Apple fan in the world or you hate Apple, is in the same breath as Einstein, Edison, these different people. He is someone we will talk about 100 years from now. And a lot of times you don't recognize somebody's impact until years and years later. So he's one of those people who's being celebrated right now because of his products. But as time passes, we'll continue to discuss his legacy because I think there's things that we don't even fully understand. If you look at what the mobile, the internet, and the tel- telephone, cell phone industry looked like five years ago, and now you look what it looks like five years later where – basically half the world's population is either walking around with an iPhone or whatever you think of Google, they're basically walking around with a, an iPhone clone. That tells you how big of an impact it, it is. And unless that just changes overnight, we're only seeing the early stages of that. So for, I mean, if Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak would have introduced the personal computer in the late 70s and never done a thing with their lives after that, they would have played a fairly important part in in history. The fact that Steve Jobs did it again with the iPod, did it with iTunes, did it with the cell phone, did it with the iPad, it it's just we you can't even begin to measure uh that impact. So I think that covers it for like I said to mark the first year, but going forward, I'm sure Steve Jobs will still be in the news and we'll be discussing him all the time. I know last year um, and if you're new to the show, Gary and I did a Steve Jobs episode about a month after he died last year. And then because we didn't really record a lot of episodes this year, we haven't talked about it. And I did get some really nice emails about that episode. There's some great reviews of it on iTunes that I just noticed the other day that I really appreciate. So if you didn't hear that episode, you can go back in the feed. And Gary and I had a, an episode that in one hand, I almost don't want to point you to because I'm still a little self-conscious about that episode. But it was still pretty raw at the time, and, and I think I think it's worth listening to. And 
this maybe puts a conclusion to this part of the story, but as far as talking about Steve Jobs, I'm sure he'll be mentioned almost every episode of this show, and anybody who's writing or covering tech, he's his fingerprints are all over it for forever, probably. Yeah, I mean, we we don't know how much of an influence uh, Steve still has on Apple. We, we you know we've heard about the roadmaps of products and all that stuff, but um, yeah, we'll just have to wait it out. Uh, anyways, let's move on with uh, what we have planned on this episode. Um, one big topic is Apple Maps. Now, I know we didn't really get a chance to touch on this last time, um, but we have a few few articles here talking about Apple Maps. Now, um, first off, before we get into any of these specific articles, I want to hear what you, you think about Apple Maps so far. I mean, I know that uh, I've... I've seen Apple Maps uh, during the betas um, and since the early days, I guess you could say, I don't know, like some people were saying, you know, they saw this coming. Um, Well, I'll start off by saying, first of all, that I find it really interesting how much this story has changed Um, already. It's only a couple weeks out. Had we talked about it last week? I think we'd be discussing a very different story. And had we recorded, say, two and a half weeks ago when iOS 6 first came out, it was a completely different story. So to give people a little bit of a background, maybe who haven't been following it really closely, is last summer at WWDC, Apple announced they were going away from Google. It got a lot of coverage, but maybe not even even as much coverage as it deserved. It was a big, big step. You heard grumblings after that, of people who had the beta, that there was some issues and, and some limitations. But because everybody's on NDA, a lot of people weren't that comfortable discussing it. And then, boom, iOS 6 comes out, and all hell breaks loose. And a lot of it was overblown, like these things always are. People, there was a Tumblr blog showing all these these disastrous results. And then you've seen in the week or two since it's sort of died down and people probably are starting to accept that it's was overblown. Some people like the map. Some people think it's a wash. Some people think it's, it's way worse, but I don't think from that standpoint, it, it's as big a deal as it originally was. And I think before we start discussing it even in more detail, there's a couple misconceptions that I would like to clear up. And I don't mean to sound condescending. I know a lot of you, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know this, but it still surprises me how many people don't understand these few points. Point one is Google Maps never existed on the iPhone. There was never a Google Maps app on the iPhone. Maps.app on the iPhone was always an app designed, maintained by Apple. It used the Google API for the actual maps and the points of interest, but the actual app was an Apple app that I always much preferred to the Google app, even though it was always limited in what it could do, I thought it was a better better app overall. The sep- second misconception is that Apple just ditched Google because they were mad at them. No, these are licensing and agreements, and the reason Apple did not renew the agreement was that Apple has major restrictions on their API. You can't use turn-by-turn directions unless the map, unless Google does it. They don't allow third parties to do that. When they tried to renegotiate the deal, they wanted more branding on the app. They wanted more personal information from Apple's users, something that Apple uh, didn't want to do. 
And I mean, the other thing that's it's obvious is people make it sound like Google Maps were perfect. There was all kinds of problems with Google Maps. I know for me in this area, not too long ago, I was planning on uh, a trip just over to the States and I knew that there was this new hotel that had gone up, not exactly new, the hotel had been there three or four years and I wanted to just look at the surrounding areas and the street view didn't even have that hotel. They they had sent their cars there seven or eight years ago and, and they weren't there. So no mapping thing is perfect. That's not an excuse for Apple, but there's going to obviously be growing pains in any type of mapping solution. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, it's really tough to say. I mean, even though, um, you know, Google maps on, on the iPhone was using the Google API. Um, I mean, just, you know, from a usability standpoint, I still think the old maps were better in terms of, uh, being able to search for points of interest and addresses as well. Um, I know that, you know, there was some discussion that possibly uh, Apple, you know, wanted to move away from Google, um, you know, speculation that, you know, Steve Jobs was angry at Google and, you know, he they had formed their own team to to make a version of Google Maps. But yeah, I think that was also based on the the crippled, a version of Google Maps that didn't have turn by turn that Apple wanted, and on top of that, um, I think Apple was you know they were quite wa- uh, wary of how much information Google was getting from every single iOS user every time they did a search within Google Maps that was just feeding Google all this free information. So uh, those are some of the arguments for you know for Apple trying to move away from the Maps app from Google Maps. Um, I think. I mean, even just using the Maps app now, I mean, I can punch in an address or I can punch in, you know, something I'm trying to search for and it will give me some sort of crazy results that would never, uh, would have happened in iOS 5 using Google Maps. So, I mean, as much as I think the new version is really nice, turn by turn does work great. Uh, Vectors are really awesome for using less data. Um, I still think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, two points there. You kind of touched on two different things. I wasn't suggesting for a second that Apple made this decision not like, I mean, it had everything to do with Google, but just not in this petty, I'm mad at Google, so we're getting rid of them. The fact is, we've seen Google over the last several years. See, I'm going to. I have such mixed emotions about Google because I was a big fan of Google for a long time, but I, and we haven't discussed it much on this show. I feel betrayed by Google. I think Google's a company that had the potential to be one of the great companies of all time. They had the chance to be the most important company when it came to the internet. They came up with the search engine. It was fantastic. It had a whole different approach than everything we had seen before. And then with Gmail and Google Docs and things like Google Maps, they really seemed committed to being the the company that was going to be all about making the world's data accessible online. And then they woke up one day five years ago and decided, we're not comfortable being Google. We want to be Microsoft or Apple. And now we live in a world where Google wants to have an like an iPhone competitor. They want to have an iTunes competitor. So, and again, I don't want to get off on a huge tangent, but we now have a company who's selling out 
smaller blogs and doing illegal takedowns for copyright things because now they're in bed with the content producers because they now have a play store, so they need to have NBC on board. So now they're going against all the things they swore they wouldn't do before. So I have a problem with Google. It's There's always this moving target with them as their priorities change. So Apple's perspective is that, of course, Steve Jobs is angry, as we've discussed before, um, partly overblown, partly right. But more importantly, I don't think Apple can put that many eggs in that basket anymore. If Google wants to have a Google Maps app, then they should make one. They should have had one ready. I do think there's a lot of talk about how Google Maps not being on the iPhone right now hurts Apple. BS. It The Maps app already is is most people are fine with it. It's only going to get better. And Google is losing that for, because in six months when Google finally gets around to releasing their app, no one will care anymore. So in the long run, this is a loss for Google. They should have had the app right ready. They didn't for whatever reason. And as far as what you were saying about the, the actual app, I would just say this, the Google maps app on the iPhone, iOS five, I like better than any other version of Google Maps because even though it was limited, Apple has a way of making things smooth and elegant. And to me, it worked faster and more intuitive than like anybody who's using the web app right now instead knows how terrible that is. Even some of the Android implementations, even though they had turn-by-turn directions, I didn't think it was a very good app. So the new app, even better you can't downplay these these vector graphics. They you don't need as much data. They load quickly. If you've ever noticed where you you're getting directions and you want to zoom into an area, you just pinch and zoom and it's right ready available. The old map, you remember, each time you zoomed, each zoom meant a reload of that data. So, from a technical standpoint, maps are a massive improvement. As far as the information goes, I may sound like I'm the Apple defender here, but I I can't say what Gary said there because it's just not true. In my area, the maps are correct. I've literally yet to look for an address that isn't there. There's some points of interest missing, but there's points of interest missing on Google Maps. For Just for fun, I looked up 10 or 15 places, local restaurants, things I go to all the time. Some are missing on Google Maps. Some are missing on on Apple Maps. That's just kind of the nature of the game. Like I said, Google, I know Google has... Taco Bell location here in the city that closed two years ago. It's so it's there's issues with that kind of thing. I'm seeing Apple. I've already submitted a bunch of corrections, phone numbers, and things, and they're they're up right away. So they are taking those report a problem things seriously. So in my area personally, I'm not seeing the problems with it that other people are seeing. I see that they're they're actively working on it. So I think short term, it may be a mixed bag depending where you live. But long-term, I think it was absolutely the right move for Apple, and Google's going to be the loser long-term. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you that, you know, it, it's good that Apple, you know, took charge of Maps and started, uh, you know, trying to implement their own version. And, you know, the problem with Google is, you know, they're they're trying to be the, the, the jack of all trades, right? I mean, take a look at all of these products that they started releasing, and, and now, you know, they've started shutting them all down. Um, you know, their, their mantra, you know, do no evil or whatever. It's, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of BS. It just, it's not true anymore. Maybe it might've been true in their early days, but now, I mean, it's, that's really hard to believe. Um, 
I guess it really depends on where you live and what you're searching for. But one, one part of the maps that I'd like a change is how the colors of roads are. I find them very difficult to see, like just the white lines compared to the, uh, the yellow lines of before. Yeah, it's, that's something I, I didn't really notice. I think at this point, it might make sense to to also give a few little tips that I found out. Um, one app that works really well, if you were married to the Google situation, I think their web app is a piece of crap. They've added uh, Street View, which is nice, but it's still so slow on the web app. It's incredible. Um, Google Local App, you can actually, it almost works like the old Google Maps. You can search any points of interest brings them right up you can still get directions it'll kick you over into safari um i use yelp a lot which the cool thing about yelp is it's apple is incorporating a lot of stuff from yelp but they're not completely intertwined so if you're looking for something on google maps i mean the apple maps and you don't find it you might actually find it on the Yelp app. And what's neat about it is if you find something in the Yelp app that isn't on the Apple Maps, but you hit the button open in Apple Maps, then it's there because it knows its coordinates and it adds it it right there for you. So that's another thing. So I find with points of interest, it may even be long term that place things like Yelp and those specialized services might actually work better than even Google or Apple. And the fact that there's an API to incorporate it in will work. The other thing I found um, that a lot of people were really concerned about is the transit directions. Now, again, this is going to be something that completely comes down to where you live. I'm in an area that we didn't have any transit directions for the longest time. It's not a big enough city or not a big enough transit system for any app developer to care about. Google didn't have it for the longest time. Google just added those directions a few months ago. Then, of course, Apple pulls them out. But now, there's several third-party apps. Uh, all of these will be in the show notes, but I found there's an app called Transit, one that Gary told me about, Transit Map, one word, and then one called VTransit. All have the Google version of Transit, so and they all work with the Apple Maps. So you put in the direct, you put in your starting location and where you want to go in the Apple Maps app. Then you hit transportation directions, which some people didn't realize are still there. Apple still supports it. It just kicks you into the third-party app, and then it opens up that app, and it it works perfectly. I don't find I've lost the, the far as the info. It's all there, and I actually think it is actually a better situation. If you remember the old transit directions, you'd pick on a a route you wanted and then it was kind of a pain to have to go back, and you'd have to sometimes redo it to get alternatives, where some of these apps who are done well you can it'll give you five different ways you can go there different times easy to switch times so i think apple again it probably sounds like i'm making excuses for them but maybe passing off things like direction i mean transit directions to third parties might actually be the right thing because i find the solution right now is pretty flawless even though it's going to another app you almost don't notice it because you press transit in the apple maps then it it opens to the new app so fast you you barely notice you've switched apps yeah, I guess the issue, I mean, I guess the issue is in that, uh, I think the issue is that Apple didn't do a very good job of letting existing transit users um, be aware that they would have to download a third party, right? I mean, some, some, some people who would be using the old version of Maps in iOS 5 and are regular transit users, 
they've learned to live life by getting transit directions based on Google Maps on in iOS iOS five. Here it comes iOS six, and bam, they don't see transit directions anymore. And I guess you know you can say they feel lost. And they need to go to the app store and download a third party. Some people don't know that they need to do that. They just assume that transit uh, directions are gone. So I think it really comes down to, you know, Apple and how, you know, they, they uh, should have handled the transit part. I mean, I guess not everyone is techie enough to go and download a transit app in the app store. But I mean, obviously people who need transit directions will eventually figure it out. I just think Apple, you know, maybe they should have done a better job of making a note of maybe promoting other transit apps as an alternative uh, in iOS 6. I'm so glad you brought up that point because right now I've been 100% the Apple, either I've been pro-Apple on this situation or I probably sound like an apologist, but believe me, I'm not. It's how I really feel. But that you're absolutely right about. The way Apple handled this was terrible right from the very beginning from Scott Forstall being on stage talking about it being the fastest most beautiful powerful mapping app that's where I think Apple does screw up they're so good at marketing that sometimes they they go overboard first of all the keynote presentation should have had more to do with we think this is the right thing going forward our apps are going to be beautiful and more fat like our maps app will be more beautiful, faster, and more technologically advanced than anything out there, but there's going to be some growing pains. Like they did with Siri by putting Siri in beta, to me, they should have done the same with Maps. And you're absolutely right, even though I do think the transit directions might be the right way of doing it, they did show it working in the keynote, so that's why I knew about it, but they should have done a better job, including on the very first day it came out, when you... I'm sure there was people who looked in the map, saw the little bus symbol there, so it's still working, and then all of a sudden you were kicked over to a blank list. For some reason, the day it launched, that list didn't even populate properly, and then it was either later that day or the next day they fixed that, where then you could see this list of apps, and then when they're providing a list of apps, including if you already had one on your phone, it showed right ready to go, but if you don't have any installed on your phone, they provided this list of suggestions, to me, that makes it pretty obvious, but th- they didn't have that right away. So to me, and maybe you're right, maybe they should have gone one step even further. The minute you hit bus directions, maybe a big pop-up should have came and said, Apple has made a change, here's why, go to the to the App Store with this link. And they, they maybe even should have promoted a few of the ones that I mentioned that had the Google Maps built right in for free, because... I noticed from the very first day, if you downloaded V Transit or Transit, the app just called Transit, that gave you everything Google had. So if any city in the world that supported the old way, it instantly worked. Apple probably should have been more adamant. They should have had that one of those two apps ready to suggest from day one. So I, I fully admit, poor job, not only on overselling it, but that first day, it appears that Apple miscalculated how many people depend on that. And maybe they didn't miscalculate. Maybe it's a very small number. But if that number, you know, I remember even on on the iPhone in Canada blog, I got into some arguments with a few people. There were a few people complaining on the blog saying that that was the most important thing. One guy was so adamant that 
That's literally the main reason he has an iPhone was for mapping. I can't relate to that. It's not in my top 10 reasons of having an iPhone, but the, for a user who who looks at the map as something that not only is it one of the main reasons they're using the phone, but they depend on it daily, I think Apple sort of let down that user and they should have maybe been more on top of that. Or not maybe, they should have been more on top of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, just a simple explanation would, would have been great because now, when you, like you said, when you tap on that bus icon, up comes a screen that says uh, routing apps and you see a couple apps that are free and then the rest are, you know, paid GPS sort of turn by turn apps and such. So, I mean, that, that could lead to some confusion for people. Um, all right. Um, well, let's, let's, let's get back to the, the list of some of the stories that we wanted to talk about. Um, I know that we already did touch on the vectors part about how it uses, uh, roughly 80% less data based on some studies compared to the old version of um, Google Maps in iOS 5. Um, people were able to basically pre-download maps and even you know use maps offline, which is something that we've been longing for for a while now. And it's such a good implementation. Like I don't even care about the 80% data savings really because I have a great data plan and I don't travel out of the country too often. But just, again, the speed of the vector... And so I do think that's worth pointing out. I, I think if if Apple had somehow done a better job with the points of interest and some of the other rough patches, I think how great the actual app is is being overshadowed because of that. Because from a technical standpoint, Google really – and this is why competition is so great because now we know within a few months we'll probably have a new map for, for – uh, iOS, but you'll definitely have a new map on Android. I'm sure Google's working on better things like the speed and vectors and things. So competition from that standpoint is great. But for people who do travel a lot or on really limited data plans, where I know some people, you mean, have even iPhones don't have data plans, that is a big difference. The vectors, the fact that so much of the maps are just natively on your phone and they don't have to, to download every time you're moving around. Yeah, it's pretty incredible at the speed which you can zoom and everything just loads and it's just right there. It's such a change compared to before. Um, now, there's one story here basically compare, uh It's Consumer Reports. Um, just yesterday they talked about how in terms of uh, they did uh, a navigation showdown, Apple's iOS 6 versus uh, uh, Apple uh, Google Maps on, in Android. Basically, they showed um, a Galaxy S3 running ice cream sandwich with Google maps. Um, basically they said, um, what, I mean, what did you think this article concluded with? I found this article interesting for two reasons. They basically said that Google maps, although better was only marginally better. So I thought that was interesting. And I thought the fact that consumer reports has had a bit of a, a bit of a rocky relationship lately with Apple as far as I'm concerned, they still overblew the the iPhone 4 antenna gate situation. Remember when Consumer Reports one week said it was the best smartphone ever made, and then the next week said they could no longer recommend it. So the reason I put it in is I thought it was interesting that Consumer Reports doesn't always have a beef with Apple, and that they did say that they didn't 
They even, and the other thing I thought was interesting is Consumer Reports even went out of the way to say, we don't see the problems that we're reading about. So it's another one of those examples of because of the crazy coverage Apple got, it's almost like it's starting to work back in Apple's favor because if you're just sort of this person who's not eating up Apple news 24 hours a day and you started to hear these rumors about, oh man, Apple's maps are just a disaster. I better look at them because according to these blogs, it's just sending you into the to the sea and there's whole cities missing. And then you go on there and you're like, what's going on here? So I thought it was interesting that Consumer Reports even noticed that we're not seeing these things that other blogs are reporting. Yeah, one of my favorites is um, just, you know, having conversations with people about, you know, the new iPhone and iOS 6 and, you know, some of these people, whether it's friends or family, you know, maybe they're not, you know, always up in, you know, the 24-7 tech news. But the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, oh, you know, what's wrong with Apple Maps? I hear it's really, really bad. Uh, That's when you know that uh, the problem has hit mainstream media when, you know, the non-techies are, boom, they're right on top of the situation. There's something wrong with Apple Maps. Should I still buy an iPhone? It's just, um, you know, it's it's not perfect, but it's going to get better. And like you said, um, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, based on the Consumer Reports uh, test of you know Google Maps versus Apple Maps, um, they call they say basically Google Maps is, is you know quote unquote they say that it's a bit more mature uh, compared to Apple Maps, which you know we can see that. Um, but yeah, I think you know we're gonna have to give it some time. Apple shouldn't have set those expectations that it was one of the best mapping solutions ever. That really hurt them. Um, but, you know, things can only go up from here. I also find it strange. I'm sort of skipping to the next story. There was a report that they've already started fixing some of the flyover uh, photos and things, and they have. I find it a little weird that things like the Brooklyn Bridge and the Statue of Liberty they wouldn't have checked before releasing it. Those are obviously big landmarks that a lot of people go to look for. So I thought that was pretty strange. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, who would have thought the Brooklyn Bridge would look so devastated like that, just you're completely you know, into the ocean, into the river there. Um, anyways, let's move on. Um, a survey says most users have no problem with iOS 6 maps. Um, basically, there's a survey conducted um, using the Google Consumer Service tool, uh, most users don't consider the iOS Maps quote-unquote problems to be a significant issue. Over half of the respondents thought iOS 6 Maps isn't a step down, while 23% felt the app was quote-unquote good enough. Um, so, I mean, it was a pretty small sample very there. Very small. Very small, but um, yeah, it's it's. I think it really depends on on the user. I mean, some people don't even use maps at all, but some people rely on it to travel every day. So, um, as long as you know, people submit the any errors or problems to Apple. Um, I, I think that that's going to help Apple fix these maps. And there was a crazy story um, that we were actually able to to verify that. Apple was employing their their retail employees to to basically work shifts to to fix and submit problems for Apple Maps. So that that's you know that's interesting. They're crowdsourcing your own employees to to get to work there. That's it. Sounds like a crazy story, but that is actually a genius move because to give you another example, I touched on this earlier, but this is. So I live in a city that's, I'm in Ontario in Canada. I'm about an hour outside of Toronto. 
but it's a fairly small city, 130,000 people. But it must be one of the most technologically non-advanced cities. I, I know for a fact that our population tends to to skew older. It's a, it's an elder, more elderly uh, area. But everything that's had anything to do with like social or directions or mapping, like when Foursquare came out, if you if you suddenly came to visit my city, St. Catharines, you'd literally only see my name. Like I swear, I was the only person in the entire city using Foursquare. You're the mayor. Yeah. I'm like at one point, I mean, it's gotten more popular, but at one point I was the mayor basically of the entire city. And even with Google maps, like there were so many screw ups, like businesses that have been open for two or three years that weren't on the maps yet, or businesses had been closed for years, hadn't been updated, phone numbers wrong, websites missing. And I always made a habit of going on the Google's site and changing it. And they, they, Google changes it really fast. And now I'm doing the same thing with Apple and it's really fast. Like there was a Walmart location here that was wrong. I submitted the new coordinates. It was updated like two days later. Several things had uh, phone numbers without the area code. So that screws up when you're trying to call. I submitted those. It was fixed. I have submitted a few new businesses and they, those haven't. So it's almost like they're being more careful with the new information. But when you correct, when you make a correction, it's quicker so if in a in a city, if Google, I mean, if Apple had employees doing that for three or four days, you would be surprised how quick that could change. Because it's like, if you remember, we talked about a couple of years ago on the podcast, that mapping app called Waze. And I said it was completely useless because nobody was using it around here. And now I know all kinds of people who use it. They use it for getting traffic alerts and things because a lot of people are using it now. So I really think that crowdsourcing is going to be very important for this type of thing. So the fact that Apple is going to embrace that is just smart because uh, Google Maps is probably awesome in a lot of cities, but in a smaller kind of area like I am, there's on both of them a lot of screw-ups and I use that report a link all the time and I don't feel that there's that many other people doing it because I don't notice that many changes unless I submit them. So I think that was smart of Apple to do. I recommend anybody listening send in those corrections because they, they do work. And I, I hope Apple actually is doing that because I think in just a few months you would have 90% of this taken care of. Yeah, uh, it's – it's um, yeah, I, mean, I remember that talking about ways. I mean I think it comes down to, to any sort of app that relies on crowdsourcing. You need – those users to be there to, to form that user base and and Waze is actually you know some part of their data is actually being used in in Apple's maps so uh, you know actually based on um, Tim Cook's letter where he actually recommended Waze alongside other applications um, Waze's uh, CEO mentioned it, just in that single day their downloads had increased by like forty percent because of that plug so um, yeah, the app. Is actually a bit more useful now. Now that there are more people with iPhones, more people adopting the program and the app, and submitting, you know, traffic problems or whatever, it's it's pretty cool when you are in a situation and you can just load up ways and help contribute as well. Pretty neat, but you do need those users there for it to work properly. Well, two things I want to point out quick, and then we'll move on. I'm glad you mentioned Tim Cook because we had somehow skipped right over that. I thought it was really interesting. Again, I hate getting into this, how are things different since Steve Jobs, but I do think that is a bit, I think the maps situation is a good example 
of Tim Cook's Apple that he very shortly after the situation came out, very humble letter, no kind of excuses or, you know what I mean, that sort of bravado or or even if you remember AntennaGate with the whole, you're holding it wrong. Of course, that's become a meme and it's a little blown out of proportion, but there was a certain element of what Steve Jobs was saying is, why are you guys making me do this? Are you idiots? This is not a big deal. All phones have this. Look at all these other phones. You almost wonder, again, if Steve Jobs was running the show, maybe the letter would have said, oh, look at all these mistakes on Google Maps. Like, But Tim Cook, I think very rightly, apologized, said he let them down, said they're working on it, and then out of a really uncharacteristic move, and everybody was surprised about this, to list competitors to use, I thought that was very smart. I think that had a little more meaning than people are even letting it know. Not only was he saying hey, we know we disappointed you, so here are some possibly better solutions right now. But he was saying that we don't have to own the whole thing. That's what's so great about iOS is Android, you're stuck with either Google or second-class developers, whereas the App Store, we have a bit of everything. So sure, we want to have Google Apple Maps. We want to make them better. But if you want all these other alternatives that are out there. So I thought that was very very smart of, I, th- I thought Apple handled it perfectly. And I do think that the backlash is almost completely gone now has a lot to do with how well Tim Cook handled it. Yeah, I think he was pretty, pretty sincere and apologetic in, in that letter. He he wasn't very defensive, uh, like Steve Jobs was with AntennaGate, although it, it is pretty hilarious, you know, telling people that they're holding the phone wrong. I think it's actually ingenious. And that's something that we would only expect from someone like Jobs, but another another point uh, when it comes to Cook recommending all of these other competitors is that Apple gets a thirty percent cut when people make a purchase. So I mean, it's sort of a, a win win situation for everyone. That's the cynical side of it, but I do I don't think that's why they did it in this case. But it 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 shows a business motive of why they're so supportive of that, and that's what has always. See, the way I've always looked at this Google, I'm, this Android versus iOS thing is they're almost the same when it comes to openness. Apple actually wants you to not believe it's open. Apple actually uses the closed parts of it as an advertising campaign that we're curating it. We're making sure it's this great experience. Come into the Apple world and you'll have everything you ever need and you won't have to worry about viruses and malware and all this other stuff. Google, on the other hand, saying, no, we're the Wild West, everything goes – but if you look at the two, they're they're nearly identical. You can jailbreak an iPhone if you want. Half the apps are locked out on Google phones. You have to root them and do other things. So to me, it's just two companies. When you look at the, the basics from that standpoint, they're very similar. It's just two different approaches. And again, final thing I'll say about Google is I don't know what – I think they're making a big mistake by by either ignoring iOS users or giving us second-class apps for a long time we wondered what google would do it seemed at first when apple and google had their big public falling out that google was still very committed to ios now they seem to be not they seem to be fake committed like they release everything for ios but it's always a a substandard experience and then they buy something like sparrow but you don't see anything come out of it yet like the gmail app for iphone is absolutely embarrassing so I think in the long run, Google's risking more than Apple because if Apple keeps 
coming out with their own alternatives and they're good or third party developers come out with stuff. I, I think Google made a mistake. I think they really believed that if someone is a Goog- like a Gmail, like a Google freak, like say you, you live in Google Maps, you use Gmail, all your calendars and contacts are in Google. I think they thought the next time someone goes to buy a phone, they're going to really consider Android because we do such a good job with all the Google services, when in reality, most Apple users are going to say, yeah, you know what, I like Gmail, but frigate, I'll switch to iCloud over going to some Android junky phone. I know for me, I'm down to, I do have some Gmail accounts, but I've phased out most Google things. I don't use Google calendars anymore. I don't use Google address book anymore. I've switched everything to the Apple ecosystem and... I bet most people are like me. You you want to keep using your Gmails. If you could have best of both worlds, perfect. But if Google's going to force us to decide between Apple and Google, I think most people are still going to, who are already in that ecosystem, already appreciative of Apple stuff, are going to stick with Apple. So I think Google's making a, a mistake right now. It'll be interesting to see as these lawsuits showed that they actually make more money off iOS users. They're not making very much money off Android because there's no licensing fees if they're going to start to get their act together and release better apps for iOS. Yeah, I think, you know, Apple's ecosystem with iCloud is great. Um, but personally for me, I'm actually invested in sort of I'm I, I'm in I'm using Gmail still, um, and uh, for me, I think the uptime that comes with Gmail is 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 been a lot better compared to Apple. I know Apple recently had some issues with outages and for their iCloud email, and you know to not get access to your email for like a day, uh, that wouldn't work for me. So I'm still using Google a lot for email, calendar. Even some of the docs and such. I mean, I think they're doing a good job with that stuff. Um, so, I mean, I guess it really depends on your your needs. But for me, I mean, as much as I appreciate and love iOS, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sort of still using Google. But that also proves my point. So you're basically taking the complete opposite approach that I just did. Say you're still living in the Google universe, but you haven't switched to Android. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just I'm just waiting for that four inch Galaxy S3 and, yeah. and it's gonna happen. Yeah. So they're to me, they're pissing people like you off even more that you're committed to their products, but they're giving you substandard apps. Like to give you a perfect example, is you bring up Google Docs. Well, they released this app six months ago called Google Drive that you can sync all your Google Docs to your iPhone or iPad, but you can't edit or do anything with them. It was this it was the biggest piece of junk app I've ever seen. And now six months later, they just did an update in the last week or so where you can now edit the documents. And to be honest, it works pretty damn well. Well, why did it take six months? Why does their Gmail app like not have multiple accounts? Like it's ridiculous. So I don't know what's going to happen long-term. I, I haven't given up on Google. I still use Gmail. Um, I, I haven't seen the drastic difference for you. I didn't have my iCloud go down for a day, and Gmail screws up all the time. I just had a buddy email me tonight asking for my help because push isn't working on Gmail, and I said, I bet you it's just Google having a problem as opposed to your settings because I've done that before too where I've reinstalled everything and then it works again, but then another account that I didn't touch just starts working again two or three days later. later. Google's had a lot of problems lately too with their IMAP and their mobile syncing, so... As far as email, none of them are perfect, but I, I do think that Google 
if their strategy was to ignore or give subpar experiences to iOS users, hoping they would switch to uh, Android, that's a mistake. So now let's see if they change their mind and start releasing quality apps for the iPhone. And it really bugs me. We never talked about it before, but I think Gmail is the worst app on the App Store. It's an, Google should be embarrassed about it. And then they buy Sparrow, which was the best email app for any mobile platform. So they better... I hope that wasn't a move to shut down a good alternative. I hope they truly bought it to incorporate those things into all their apps. Yeah, I, I, the Gmail iOS app, um, you know, although there have been some, you know, decent updates, uh, it, it's still not as good as Apple Mail, but I guess, you know, there could be a limitation with some APIs and such. No. But I still think, you know, Gmail, the app itself, it does a lot better when it comes to searching for emails compared to Apple Mail. Yeah, and I don't know how we got off got off on this topic. But anyways, before we go on all night, I will make the distinction. Gmail's two separate things. There's the Gmail service, which you could use without ever even you could set it up on Apple Mail. Gmail service is fantastic. I use it all the time. Gmail app and website is crap, is what I'm saying. Even their iOS app isn't really an app. It's a wrapper to a web view, which again is ridiculous. I'm another, we won't get into it, but Facebook went from a wrapper to a native app and it's incredible how much better it looks. Most people probably didn't even know they changed it because it looks identical. But now when you're scrolling through your timeline on Facebook, you just keep loading story after story, not load three stories and then wait 10 minutes. Um, It's the same with the Gmail app. Like it's just absurd you're not going to convince me. We'll agree to disagree, but no one is going to convince me that Google isn't either brain dead, like they have no good app developers, or they're doing it on purpose. That the best they could do for Gmail on iPhone is to have a web wrapper that takes you to their crappy mobile version of their website and cannot support multiple accounts. When Sparrow and all these other third party apps could do that fine. Like you mentioned, you can run your Gmail. In the Apple Map, so you can—it's just an iMap. It's—it's no APIs or any other excuses. Right. They just need to make a native app that bloody works. To me, that was a calculated move to say you love Gmail. Gmail's way better on Android Switch, and most Apple users have said, "Screw you, Google. Get your crap over here. I'll find another alternative because I'm not switching phones because I like Gmail." So tangent over we can go on with the rest of the show and all right that was uh, episode 52 of the iphone podcast okay um hold on okay let's uh move on um some other news this one's a bit really interesting here we've had a lot of stories come up about foxconn and how the uh, workers have gone on strike over their iphone 5 workload and production lines have pretty much been paralyzed um, th- there was a issue where eventually Foxconn issued a statement saying that um, denying reports that there was a they were crippled by a strike. But yesterday, uh, Bloomberg reported that there was actually, uh, based on anonymous sources, as always, they it came down to the choice of aluminum that was used by Apple, which has is 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 uh, susceptible to scratches and dings as that aluminum piece m- makes its way through the assembly line and after you know so many people have complained 
about uh, getting phones out of the box that were new and scratched, including mine. Um, Apple executives talked to Foxconn and they said, you know, we have to change this up. So they ramped up quality control that basically led to, you know, certain backs, back casings that were, that would have passed before those were basically ditched. And that actually led to a shortfall of uh, some of those supplies to the point where production actually stopped for a day. Um, interviews with um, anonymous assembly line workers, they noted that, you know, uh, Foxconn managers had basically ramped up, um, I guess, quality controls. And it got to the point where working on the assembly line was just too tedious because of the, the uh, demands for for a better and uh, perfect and unmarked, undamaged iPhone 5 casing. I put this story in the show notes for a different reason than it probably appears. There was initially this report. It's funny how we I've been on too many rants already today, so I can't I'll have to save this one about basically the state of tech journalism, but it's funny that some rumors got reported that there was a a strike. Then literally every tech blog or paper in the world reported that. Then almost nobody does the follow-up to say, actually, there was no strike. That was some bad information. The, find, the thing that I find the most interesting is Apple made such a big deal about the, the design of this phone, called it the most beautiful thing they've ever done. Johnny Ive is sitting on a video discussing how they're using like video cameras to perfectly match one of 700 different cuts, so it's the most precise thing. Then you had several articles come out from either reviewers saying that it was like a fine jewelry and it was this incredible piece. And then I, I wish I had the link handy, but there was somebody else who was very familiar with like manufacturing and said that this is this phone is a manufacturing marvel. We've never seen anything this well made this well produced. And to me, that's the fascinating part of the story is can Apple continue to make these miracles happen or are they starting to design stuff that's too good to be mass produced? Like if you're making a fine watch, they're handcrafted and they sell in these really small numbers. Now you're trying to craft the most beautiful device ever made, but at the same time, trying to get 50 million of them shipped in the next three months. It's to me, that's the interesting part of the story that Apple has to make so many of these phones and they're being so ambitious with the design. If you look again, not to, to insult any other phones, but if you look at what other manufacturers are doing, they're innovating on the, the specs and the features. They've basically given up on the design. Like, there, there's nothing interesting. No, I can't think of another phone that's doing anything interesting design-wise. Yeah, I think you might have been referring to the Slate review of the iPhone 5. That was a second follow-up review. I think in that review, I think the author was basically had, had this hilarious glowing review saying the iPhone 5 was really, really nice, basically responding to uh, John Gruber. At uh, Daring Fireball, I don't know if that's the same one you were talking Might have been. about. There were was, was several, and I, I think, um, I can't remember, I think one of the people, it might have been the guy from the USA Today, was the one who said the iPhone is like a Rolex and the other phones are like a Timex. It, it certainly wasn't just one blog. There was a lot of talk about the design of this phone 
And then I remember the, there was another article about it being almost like a, a manufacturing marvel to to try to produce this many. They were the guy who writing it was skeptical that they could produce enough because you have these analysts saying that Apple could possibly sell 50 million phones in the next quarter. But how are they going to make all these phones? How with how a phone this fine this precise? How do you make that many? And, and this article sort of bears that out that working with such fine materials and trying to make that many, I think this is an interesting trade-off that Apple is trying to balance right now of we want to make something that's truly beautiful. And if you see the drop tests, obviously the design of this new phone, from that standpoint, it's so much stronger than it was before. But it's obviously really tough to produce these things because it's sold out everywhere again. It's It seems like no matter how many times, Apple can never make enough of these things. Yeah, and I think as the years have passed, Apple has basically included more and more countries in the rollout. So it's not like they're making it any any easier on themselves. So I, I guess you know that aspect is usually overlooked. That there are more countries launch, getting the iPhone now as part of the second wave. So the strain and the stress on the manufacturing process must be incredibly intense. That uh, you know it's something that we can't even imagine. First world problems. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we're coming up to almost an hour here. Um, consumer, consumer reports. We're going to go back to this again. iPhone five is quote the best iPhone yet. Um, you know, previously they, they've given the iPhone five a thumbs up. Um, but after testing, uh, the device with a full review, they're now basically saying it's, uh, the display is beautiful. The, the thinner and lighter profile is great. LTE is amazing. And even the improvements uh, to Siri. And even though, you know, they, they talked about how there were complaints about the lens flare issue uh, with the camera, that is actually an issue with any camera. Um, they say that the iPhone 5's 8 megapixel camera is the best they've, that they've seen on a smartphone. Um, so yeah, and also they did a follow-up report um, just today that the purple haze the that people are seeing is actually not exclusive to the iPhone 5. It, it also occurs on Android units that they tested. Um, it, it happens everywhere. Yeah, I put this in the rundown just because of their previous problems with the iPhone. Um, there's nothing outside of that that interesting, um, but they did give it a pretty thorough review and they were very uh happy about it purple haze i wasn't even going to mention i purposely left that out of the show notes because that's one of those examples sort of like location gate where it's just ridiculous like i've taken a hundred photos already with my new phone and haven't seen it obviously everybody has seen lens flares and other things when you have direct sunlight and other weird things that it's just one of those crazy things that that would happen with no other phone if if you suddenly had an Android phone and you took a shot in direct sunlight and had some lens flares, you you would never hear anything about it. But because every single thing with Apple is made such a big deal that we almost had a little bit of a purple haze gate. But I'm happy to report that that's almost already dying down. So uh, I wasn't even going to mention it, but now that you did, it's just another one of these blown out gates, we call them that every every time an iPhone comes out, it's funny how the first several weeks there's always these sky is falling 
things. And it's funny how it never affects sales and you never hear them again. You, you don't, how many iPhone 4s and 4Ss are still on the market? And when's the last time you heard somebody say, oh, so sorry, Gary, I lost you there. I was holding it by the antenna. There was attenuation issues. Like these things don't really exist. They just get blown no such, portion. There really is no such thing as negative press. Um, it basically just gets Apparently people not, yeah. talking about the iPhone more and more. Um, moving on here, let's just touch on this story briefly here. Uh, the CEO of a major league baseball um, advanced media, they're basically saying passbook adoption has been really great. 12% of uh, e-ticket buyers are already using passbook, which is, is pretty cool. Um, they, in a press release, uh, they told market watch that, you know, 1500 e-ticket buyers or 12% uh, bought their tickets using passbook and they're pretty shocked by the adoption rate. And this, they're, they're saying this is, uh, you know, it's, it just shows that fans want digital tickets. Now going back to passbook, I mean, although apps are still quite limited with passbook, I managed to actually, uh, test out passbook myself. Um, using the Starbucks app, which ironically doesn't work in Canada, even though it was updated for Passbook in the USA. There is a bit of work around. It's on the blog. You can check it out. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, my wife and I were at Starbucks and, you know, we're pulling, pulling up to the drive-thru and bam, um, you get a put pop, uh, you get a push notification right to the lock screen that, you know, this is the Starbucks location that you're at slide to slide across that notification and up comes the uh, Starbucks card right there on the screen. And the uh, employee just scanned my iPhone and away we went. It was just pretty easy. Very seamless. Yeah. I put that story in mostly because you and I last week discussed that passport was sort of like the new Siri, whereas it seems so cool of an idea but will it ever take off? Will anybody support it? So I do find it interesting that 12% of tickets, that's that's a, a nice percentage right off the bat. I like to hear your story. And um, to give everybody, this just came out. I was going to make this an app pick, but it makes more sense to discuss it now. For anybody, I'm, this works in Canada and the U.S. International um, listeners, I'm sorry, I don't think it does. But there's a new app. Well, it's not a new app, but an update to an app called Valpack just came out yesterday and everybody is probably familiar with Valpak whether you think so or not Valpak is that company who you used to get an envelope in the mail that when you opened it up had a whole bunch of coupons in it well now they have an app that has coupons and it's a pretty slick app you you launch the app it asks you for your location and then it spits out um, like I again, I live in a small area, and, and there's 40 or 50 different offers. I'm sure in big cities there's hundreds. And what's cool about this app now is when you click on an offer you're interested in, in, it has a little button that says "Send to Passbook," and then that coupon is sent to Passbook. And I, and I also tried that out today, and it's incredible how it works. You, it knows the location of of the restaurant. So when I got about a block away, it popped up on my home screen. Like Gary said, you swipe across and then there's this coupon and you show it to the, the person. The coupon offers written right there. It also has a, a thing they can scan if their location supports that. These people just happen to just know it was a coupon. They didn't scan anything. But that's another example of 
of how good it works. So for anybody who hasn't flown or done any of the few apps that support it, if you're looking for something just to test, it's called Valpak, V-A-L-P-A-K. I'll put a link in the show notes. That app has local offers that go to Passbook. So I thought that was a really, A, smart of Valpak. That's a perfect implementation of Passbook. And again, if everything starts going this way, I could see this being a very interesting technology. I would love to be able to buy all the tickets I buy and just have them in Passbook. That would be fantastic. Hmm, interesting. I do remember Valpac. At, uh, those are the days of getting coupons in the mail and such. That that's uh, I'll have to look into that. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I think um, Val, sorry, um, Valpac came out, I think, last year. And I may not even have mentioned it because when it came out last year, I thought, boy, this is a good idea. Nobody wants that stupid envelope full of coupons anymore, but this could be great. And there was literally like two offers in my area. So I I was pretty underwhelmed. Then when I saw they updated for Passbook, I was like, well, I just want to try this to see how they integrate a Passbook. And sure enough, there was like 50 or 60 offers. So they've obviously grown their business in the last year. And I know if I was a local business, I would love to have my my offers on iPhone. So I think this is a smart smart move for Valpac. And if you've been looking for something to try out Passbook, try it out. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, one quick story here. Uh, third party lightning cables could be coming soon. It, uh, one, one company claims that, you know, they have managed to crack the authentication chip within lightning cables and we could see the explosion of third-party lightning cables. Right now, Apple is charging $21 Canadian for a cable in Canada. Um, I have uh, another cable coming. It's it's pretty inconvenient right now to, to sort of lug around my one cable because if I don't have that cable, I can't charge my phone. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this was just a matter of time like everything else and you'll be able to get your $2 monoprice cables or if Apple has some other ways to sort of make them not work. My guess is that won't be the case. I think Apple designed this to work the way they wanted it. I don't think it was a move just to shut out other people. So um, it'll, for people who like to get a whole bunch of cables for 2 bucks on Monoprice, this should be good news. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on to a couple rumors, and then we're going to talk maybe one or two apps, and then uh, we're going to shut this down. Rumors, um, the Guardian reports that the iPad mini, seven, the 7.85-inch iPad mini, is likely going to be Wi-Fi only according to its sources. Um, they're saying that you know we won't see a, a cellular data-connected iPad mini as this would basically allow Apple to still uh, produce a cheaper iPad compared to the original iPad. Um, I mean, what do you think about this? I mean... For someone who's going to buy, you know, a 7.85 inch iPad, uh, do they want a cellular connection, or would they probably tether from their iPhone or share a data plan? Well, first of all, I mostly put this story in because I wanted to just have a token story to talk about the iPad Mini because we haven't really discussed it. But far as this exact story goes, it's interesting because. A few people commented on this today saying, well, if Apple didn't ship a 4G iPad, that that would be this massive mistake that the small portability is the main, the main calling card, like the, the best feature of a, a smaller tablet, which I think logically makes sense. 
but it also it doesn't really go with the way the industry is right now because the Amazon um, the what do you call it the Google Nexus Seven which is supposedly the best selling of these little seven inch tablets it doesn't have a data connection like a three G or four G connection so. The idea that Apple couldn't release one without it, that would just be crazy. I, I think that's overblown. We've seen other devices like that. Um, but at the same time, I'd be surprised if Apple didn't have it. They've had it in the other iPads. Um, not that he's the definitive person on this, but I will point out that um, John Gruber linked to this story today, and he his exact quote was, I'll bet money that it does, and I tend to agree with Gruber. So um, I'm not even convinced where we're at with this iPad mini or smaller iPad to begin with. But if it does come out, I would expect it to, to have 4g. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be key to, to have 4g, but you know, if Apple doesn't allow it to have a cellular data connection, I mean, I think that would keep people from, it would sort of funnel people towards a larger iPad. You know, if they want that cellular connectivity, there's always that one feature that will make you decide whether you're going to get this product from Apple or this product. Well, I can tell you personally, I've completely rethought cellular cellular data on an iPad. I've bought, as we've discussed before, I have the Wi-Fi version of, of both the iPad 2 and the, the new iPad. And my thinking was, I tend to use this mostly at home, so I have access to Wi-Fi. And when I'm out, I can just tether it to my iPhone. Now that we have LTE and it just blows away your home internet, I think my next iPad will be an LTE version. And if Rogers or anybody in Canada can come up with a similar plan where it's $20, $25, $30 for five or six gigs, I may be tempted just to use LTE just because of that speed. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is... What do you think about this iPad mini rumor? We haven't discussed it much. I find this to be a very strange rumor because if you look at the whole history of Apple rumors, for years they were nothing but that. Apple was so good with secrecy that everything was just a wild rumor and when somebody got something right, it was most likely just a good guess because Apple was king of the secrets. Then we have rumors like the Apple TV which seem to be based on some idea that they're working on it. But you can tell there's never been an Apple TV rumor that you really believe because they're just these vague ideas Apple's working on. Then you look at something like the iPhone, they're nailing the rumors. The the release date gets leaked. They say, oh, we're going to send out invitations on this day. It always ends up being the right date. And this iPad mini is sort of in the middle. It it has more real-sounding rumors, but... Those main things like those Wall Street journals, Jim Dalrymple, John Gruber, none of them are confirming it the way. Like today that was supposed to be the day the invitations went out, but you didn't get a yep from Jim Dalrymple. You didn't get Wall Street Journal doing it. So it's like it's I kind of am still wondering. There's so much smoke, you think there's gotta be fire, but so I, I just think the iPad mini has been one of the stranger Apple rumors that it seems to have sort of those hallmarks that you normally get from the correct iPhone rumors, but it doesn't have those those usual group of suspects confirming them that I wonder if this product isn't as far along as people think. It Was it some bad information? Is it misdirection on somebody's part? Is it still coming? I, I, I really don't. Yeah, I, I think 
I think with the iPhone, it was going to be such a massive launch that, you know, I think it was pretty hard to sort of keep it under wraps. But with the iPad mini, I mean, if this is sort of a specialized product, I mean, it, maybe they actually are able to keep it a secret compared to before. But, but, but I just, yeah, I just can't get over how, you know, with the iPhone 5, like you said, we saw basically everything to the point where there was no element of surprise anymore. The iPad mini, um, you know, I think Imore, uh, Rene Ritchie, he said that, you know, we would see both the iPad mini and iPhone 5 at the October event. That was eventually changed. Um, I think Jim, Jim Dalrymple, he, he said, you know, he emphasized that there would only be the iPhone Five being announced at this event, and then a later rumor noted that there would be a further October media event, which the invites were supposed to be sent out today, but they weren't sent out today. I think Jim tweeted that it was going to be a slow day, and he was going off for lunch. Um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, we've seen pictures, uh, you know, cases and all this and all this. I mean, I think if Apple is going to roll out the iPad Mini, they're going to have to do it soon if they want to get it in in time for the holidays. But if not, maybe plans have changed. A recent rumor noted that um, there has been some design changes to the iPad Mini, and some case manufacturers have had to, you know, stop the production of their accessories. So, if that is the case, maybe we might see the iPad Mini at the sort of normal spring cycle for the iPad. Um, I mean, I think right now with the iPhone five and the new iPods, there's just so much out there for for customers to soak up. I mean, can we really handle? a brand new iPad, you know, less than a month after the iPhone's release. Well, it's weird too, because I don't know if the iPad mini or whatever they're going to call it is basically just like a smaller iPad too. So it's no retina or anything like that. Then I don't think it's that revolutionary of a product that even necessarily warrants any big hype. So maybe they would just announce it next year with the iPad or have some small little event. To me, the only, the only thing that it will only make big news if Apple's able to do something crazy with the price. Like if there's like a 199 or a 249 model, then maybe they do want to get that out before Christmas because looking to buy somebody a 249 iPad as opposed to a $500 iPad, that's, that's a big difference. So if I had to guess right now, I would say that Either these rumors are wrong or it's a fluid situation for Apple. They're not in a huge rush to get it out. They're trying different designs. They're ramping up manufacturing. So if it comes out this month, next month isn't a big deal. But just none of those regular people, they've never confirmed anything. I don't think Dar Rimple has really said anything either way. He's he's commented a few times about what Gruber said. And Gruber's all along said that he's just speculating and that he knows for a fact that Apple is working on that form factor, but wasn't sure they'd release it, that it's at least something they were considering. So maybe that's all it is. Maybe these leaks, it's Apple working on it right now, and they're just deciding whether, hey, if we get it to a certain price, or the industry or the the, the demand really looks like that's a necessary product, we'll do it. If not, we're very comfortable with our, our current lineup. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it. this is the one product where there hasn't been, you know, a definitive leak or date um, some of the rumors that people have, you know, thought was going to happen, those, those, those dates have come and gone. So we're going to, we're just going to have to wait this out. 
Okay. Um, one last rumor, and then let's move on to an app pick. Uh, today, um, Office for iOS and Android is re- was reportedly confirmed by a Microsoft product manager. Uh, this was leaked by a, a Czech uh, website, um, and they said that native apps would be available sometime after March of next year. Um, I mean, we've heard, we, I think it was the Daily, they leaked an image of Office on the iPad. Um, we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, this isn't surprising. It's it's uh, typical Microsoft to sort of, you know, say they're going to do something but never really do it until years later. Yeah, I just put this in because we have a new rumor section of the podcast and I wanted to follow up with this one. It's already, there's already been an update. Microsoft in the U.S. saying this this isn't the case, which they did last time. The bottom line is we know it's in the works. Let's see when it comes out and how much it is. But again, sort of the theme of the show, I think Microsoft's playing a similar dangerous game to Google where I think they're waiting for their tablets and their stuff to take off because they'd like to say, hey, if you're a regular Office user, wouldn't you like to come over and use our products? But if they keep playing that game, their their product is not going to be good enough to convince you to switch switch hardware. So are they just going to lose out that business to Apple's iWork and, and various other competitors? Yeah, yeah. There was the update where they, they denied that. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, moving on, let's go to the app picks. Uh, maybe there's one app pick that you really need to share with us. Let's hear it. Um, and summarize it in a minute. Yeah, we've gone on so long. We'll get back to our app picks next week. I would just, again, reiterate, um, there's a lot of great apps out there if you're dealing with the map situation. Um, I'll put the links in the show notes, but my favorite one, the most Apple-like, the most elegant design is just an app called Transit. There's another good one called Transit Map, one word, and then V Transit, And then you, of course, can save Google Maps or Nokia Maps or right to your home screen if you wanted to do that. So in the meantime, well, Apple's kind of figuring things out. There's some good alternatives there. And then I would just reiterate to try that Valpack to get give yourself a good idea how Passbook uh, works. And then next week, now that we're recording again, uh, we'll do an episode next week and make sure we don't go on as long and have a nice long app section where we'll we'll introduce two or three good apps every week for people. Okay. Um, one app that, uh, I'm going to share is it's not really new, but I've been using it and it's worked really great. It's called posted. Um, it's basically an app that tracks your deliveries. So if you have any sort of FedEx, UPS deliveries, or you're sending something to a friend via Canada post, you can basically plug in any delivery service into posted and it'll send you real time push notifications when you get those delivery updates. Um, it's a pretty pretty neat interface. It shows um, how many days are remaining till your your item either arrives uh, at its destination, which is pretty neat. And um, so far, it's it's worked great in terms of uh, tracking deliveries. I actually used it to track um, my iPhone five. I also used it to track my iPhone five that was heading back to Apple. So um, there you go. It's called Posted. I think it's. 99 cents and uh it's 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 a decent app to try out yeah it sounds great and i'm 
I used to get mail order all the time. I used to basically have DVDs and CDs packages coming at all times. And now I don't really do that as much. And now all these great apps come out. So back in the day, I would have loved to have this. But if I if I get to the point where I start tracking a lot of packages now, it's just one more area where these apps have, have come up with a better solution than you previously had. Exactly. Okay. I think we've had a pretty juicy episode, uh, episode 52 of the iPhone podcast. Thanks again for everyone to everyone uh, for listening to us. Uh, please, please, please rate us in iTunes. Tell us if you like us, tell us what we're doing well. If you don't like us at all, that's fine. Share that, share your thoughts, but just please rate us in iTunes. That helps us out a lot. You can follow the show and provide feedback by visiting the iPhone podcast.com or by following us on Twitter. I'm located at, uh, Twitter.com slash iPhone in Canada and Justin is at Twitter.com slash Justin Louie. That's L-U-E-Y. Um, basically, we, we have links on the web. I don't even need to read that out anymore. That's so old school, but we've been doing it. It seems to be tradition. I'll just read it out anyways. At least I'm not saying www dot or, or HTTP colon. Anyways, uh, once again, thanks for listening. Uh, Any final words, Justin? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. All right, see you next week. Thanks again.